This week, we are in our second week of our series, Thriving Where You Are, and our sermon topic today is Out of the Frying Pan, Into the Fire. Well, and that's more of a J.R.R. Tolkien title from The Hobbit, but you get the idea, um, because Joseph is now in Egypt, and we're following the storyline of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Last week, we talked about uh, his family dynamic and his toxic relationships with his brothers, uh, Jacob, his father, and, and his mothers, and his stepmothers, and how their toxic relationships affected his upbringing, and, and how all of those conditions set the stage for a lot of bad things to happen, but how God was still present in all of it. And so today we're going to take a look at how Joseph fared in those first few years, um, multiple years in Egypt, going there as a 17-year-old boy, as a slave in Egypt. And we'll see that sometimes bad things keep happening. And I feel like it hits, our, it hits home for a lot of us because sometimes bad things keep happening over and over in our lives and sometimes bad things keep happening to good people even when they do the right things. Even when they make the good choices, the right choices. Um, they do the honorable things. They tell the truth. They live with good morals. And yet, even when they make the good choices and do the right things, bad things still happen. And then we're left to ask those questions of why and where is God in all of it. And so today we're going to talk about some of those questions. And we're going to explore Joseph's story in Egypt in the first few years of Joseph's life in Egypt. We're going to explore as he hops out of the frying pan and into the fire a little bit today. Let's take a moment to pray together. Awesome God, we are so grateful for your presence, your abiding presence, your never leaving us behind presence. That no matter what trial, no matter what tragedy, no matter what joy we face, that you are always with us. That abiding presence, Lord, that comforts us through all things. We are just so grateful for it, Lord. That you would love us enough to send Christ into our lives, into our world. We give you thanks and we worship you. Be in this space and this time. Open our hearts and our minds to you so that we could experience your spirit and your new life in this place today, Lord. It's in your son Jesus' name, your son and our Savior that we pray. Amen. Have you ever had a dream? Not like a night dream, but a, a dream dream, like a, a God-given dream for purpose or meaning or destiny that God had given you something or you felt called to something more, a dream. It Was it fulfilled or unfulfilled in your life? Sometimes our dreams are unfulfilled. Often they're, they seem unfulfilled. You know, Joseph had a dream. He did. He had a dream. Last week we talked a little bit about his dream. He, he had this dream that he would be something great. He would be a leader and and he told it to his brothers, and they didn't really like it. Go figure. I don't really like the idea of bowing down to you, my little brother. You know, sometimes our dreams get spoiled, don't they? 
a lot of times our dreams get spoiled. We, we have these dreams and these aspirations. Sometimes they're God-given. Sometimes they may not be. Um, but we have these aspirations in lives, these things that we want to do and become, and then they get just squished in our life. They like these spoiled dreams. And sometimes they get spoiled by voices. And maybe it's the voice in our head that tells us we're not good enough, but maybe it's from our past. Like, like for Joseph, his family members, you know, his brothers constantly be demeaning him, um, or maybe it's our families that do that, or, or the people in our lives. Maybe it's a, a professor in college or a, or a teacher in school that says you're not good enough, or a coach that says you can't make the team, or it's someone, or a neighbor, or, or an uncle, or a grandparent, or, or there's someone's voice in your life that says your dream is not good enough. You can't accomplish that dream. It's not going to happen. Or it could be a life situation. Maybe it's a social economic thing or you didn't come from the right place or, or some other situation in your life that says your dream can't happen because you're not the right person for it. But for whatever reason, your dream gets crushed and, or, or you get knocked down and you can't do that. I, I was reading an article recently um, from the New York Times uh, from, and it was from an interview from last year about a guy named Scott Hamilton who was a, a figure skater. And he was, he was a famous figure skater from around the time I was born. So I didn't know this guy in his prime. But in 1981, he won the national and, and world championships and, championships in figure skating. In 1984, he won the gold medal in figure skating. Um, but he was just recently knocked out of the um, sports casting world. And in this interview, he was talking about what it was like. And, he, and I quote what he said. He said, I calculated how many times I fell during my skating career. This is what Scott's talking about. And he said, 41,600 times he fell down. But here's the funny thing, Hamilton says. I got up 41,600 times. That's the muscle you have to build in your psyche. The one that reminds you just to get up. Like, that's really good. I like this. You see, so when I was in high school in the 90s, um, there was a band named Chumbawamba who had a song called Tub Thumping, Tub Thumping, that went, I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're never going to keep me down. I get knocked down. Maybe you've never heard that song. You heard it once. That was like almost the entire song I sang right there. You just put it on repeat. Um, kind of like some praise and worship songs, that's the whole song. But it, it gives this idea that that's a universal thing that we all experience. We all get knocked down, right? We all do. Sometime in our life, we get knocked down. And we have the choice, do you get back up or not? We get knocked down over and over and over again. And we all have to endure stuff. You know, and we've all endured. In this room, just in this room, what have you endured? We have people in this room who have endured a lot. Endured a lot in life. We have some who haven't endured hardly anything. We have some who have endured almost everything. I started thinking, what can we endure physically? What can we, what can we endure physically? We can endure almost anything, I realized. I looked it up in National Geographic, and according to National Geographic, we can endure, we can survive for two to three minutes without air. And if we train ourselves, up to 11 minutes. Did you know that? I find that interesting. If you train yourself, you can hold your breath for up to 11 minutes. Don't try it. The sermon's longer than that today. 
Um, 10 minutes in 300 degrees. We can, you can survive for 10 minutes in 300 degrees. Uh, 30 minutes in 40 degree water. Seven days without water to drink. 45 days without food, although I don't recommend it. Um, but then I was thinking about what, that's what we can physically endure. What can we spiritually endure? Because here's the thing. I think that we can physically endure more than we can spiritually endure. I think our spiritual lives give out much sooner than our physical endurance. At least that's been my experience in life. And it may be different for you. You see, I think we, we get our coffee cups with Philippians uh, 4.13. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And our bumper sticker's going, and we get all excited about that. And, and you know, what? When we're, when, yeah, sure, when we're happy-go-lucky Pollyanna Christians and everything's going well, we, we spout off that Philippians 4.13, and we're all excited about it. But when life sucks and everything goes bad and we deal with the realities of life and we actually get it knocked down, and that diagnosis, that diagnosis comes, and it's cancer. Or it's a real tragedy in your life. Or it's a divorce, or bankruptcy, or something real in this world. And you're truly knocked down. For I can do all things through Christ who gives me. That's a hard pill to swallow. That is not easy. But that's real life, isn't it? Sold into slavery. Abandoned by his family. That's where Joseph is. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. So if you brought your Bibles today, I invite you to join me in chapter 39 of Genesis. Um, if you did not bring your Bibles, it's on page 64 in your pew Bibles, um, if you'd like to follow along. And I'm just going to start in verse number 1, which starts like this. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. And he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. Everything he owned. God's presence doesn't trump our reality. God's presence doesn't trump our reality. God's presence does not trump our reality. We live in this balance. In this balance. We have these trials. We have these things that go on in our lives. We have these, these situations. Some of them good, some of them bad. And then we have God's presence. We have sorrow. And then we have the hope that Christ brings into our world. And we exist somewhere between these two things. We exist with both. As though these are two sides of the same coin. Because in fact they are. 
two sides of the same coin, that we exist in simultaneously with both of these together, both of them, our trials, our reality, and God's presence, because God's presence doesn't trump our reality. And what happens is, is God's presence either holds us up or, I'm sorry, holds us up or pulls us up. Two sides of the same coin. Our situation, God's presence, together. Two sides of the same coin of our existence. And so we endure, we persevere. We're persistent through it all. Which is why when we read Paul's writing in Romans, it says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight, by faith, we have peace. Because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us, because of our faith, our faith, friends, in Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. We now stand confidently and joyfully looking forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know, we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we, disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us. Because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. You see, God's presence... And our faithful endurance go together, but the situation remains the same. God's presence and our endurance go together, but the situation doesn't change. The outcome remains the same. Still have cancer. Still getting divorced. Still in the middle of financial trouble. And we wrestle then with this question of why. Why? Joseph is still a slave. And soon he's in prison. And what good does it do then? What good does it do to believe? What good does it do to follow? What good does it do to trust and obey if it doesn't get us anything? But it does get us something. We don't trust and obey because it gives us something. Paul is very clear. He said it. It gives us peace, and it gives us hope. He says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done. He says we have hope, this confident hope of salvation. God gives us peace and hope, not duct tape, the fix-all of every situation. Later on in Genesis, in Genesis uh, 50, after Jacob dies, Joseph's brothers come to him afraid that Joseph's going to fight back and, and, and destroy them. And, and, and Joseph says this to him. He says, you intended all of this for harm, to harm me. But God intended all of it for good. He brought me to this position. 
so I could save the lives of many people. You see, God had a plan in all of this story. Joseph didn't know what it was in the moment. It took him a lifetime to figure it all out. Sometimes we don't know, sometimes we don't know God's why. Sometimes we never know God's why. Sometimes we're not meant to know God's why. But God has a reason. And his reasons are his, not ours. Just as his blessings are for his purposes and not ours. Let's continue with verse 5 and see where we go from here. From this time, from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. And the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was very handsome, good-looking man. Potiphar's wife was like, hey, I like this guy and my husband's only eating now. You can read into that anything you'd like. She wants to have some relationship with Joseph. Joseph says, no, I'm not about that. Um, a couple of times, and Joseph stands strong in his integrity. She does not like that at all. She doesn't understand the power that Joseph has comes from God and what that means to Joseph. It gets into this little affair thing, and Joseph stands strong in his integrity. He runs out of the room, but leaves behind his robe, so he's streaking across the palace, um, out of the, there, and she sits there with his little cloak. And um, when Potiphar gets home, she says, look what this, this Hebrew you brought into our house did. He tried to rape me. And so Potiphar gets irate. So we pick it up in verse 20. Joseph, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. The place where the king's prisoners were confined... But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. God's blessings doesn't mean our gain. God's blessing doesn't mean our gain. God's blessing doesn't mean our gain. Sometimes we, we assume, falsely assume, that God's blessing in our life is meant to give us acquisition, to give us more, to give us something. But God's blessing is never intended to be about us. Recall with me for a minute um, the calling of Abram, who was later Abraham, earlier in Genesis. In Genesis 12, God calls Abram to be the, the forerunner of the nation. Right? And in chapter 12, the Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land and you will, that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make you famous, and I will make you rich beyond your wildest dreams. 
No, that's not what he said. Right? That's not what it said. He said, I will bless you and I will make you famous and I will make you powerful. No. I will bless you, I will make you famous and I will buy you a sports car. No. God said to Abram, I will bless you and I will make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. The purpose of God's blessing the purpose of God's blessing is always to bless others. It was never to bless themselves, the person that received the blessing. Joseph was blessed in Potiphar's house, and who reaped the blessing? Whose fields got all the extra harvest? Potiphar's. Whose household was blessed? Potiphar's. Whose pocketbook got more money? Potiphar's. Who was a slave still? Joseph. Who saw no financial gain? Joseph. Who became famous? Joseph. Joseph didn't get financially blessed. God's blessing blessed Potiphar. When Joseph went to prison, who was blessed because of Joseph? The prison warden. He was still a prisoner. The whole time. The blessing was not meant to stay with Joseph. It went on to someone else. Which reminds me of one of the fav my favorite blessings in the Old Testament, which comes from Numbers, and I use it often at the end of worship because it is a picture of what it means to me to be blessed by God. It is one of my personal favorite blessings in biblical text. And it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious toward you. The Lord turn his face toward you and grant you peace. Not money, power, position, status, but, but peace, shalom, contentment in life, knowing that you have all you need in this moment, that God would give you that comfort in your heart, that you have what you need in this moment right now. That's a blessing from God. The blessing is peace, which is also what Christ said, by the way, when you read John, because that's what he said. Jesus Christ himself said, self said I am leaving you with a gift. Right? When Jesus left in John, he said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is not of this world. And the world cannot give it. So don't let your hearts be troubled or afraid. We, we shouldn't confuse God's purpose of his blessings. His blessings are not for our gain, but for his but sometimes the purposes are hidden in the moment. But hidden doesn't mean absent. Hidden never means absent. Just because something is hidden, God's purpose, his presence, or his actions may seem hidden in the moment, but that doesn't mean that it's absent at all. A couple weeks ago, I had our, our life group met at our house. Our, our life group that I'm in um, is called the Outnumbered Life Group because there are so many kids. We're outnumbered, and it's crazy. But my, my daughter needed to be changed clothes. Um, and so I was in her room, and her dresser is in her closet. And so I go into her closet um, to get her clothes. And the other kids are playing hide-and-seek. And I walk up into her closet, and I open the drawer, and I see my son's shoes in the closet. And then I follow the shoes to his ankles and then his calves. And then, and then her dresses are like this big. And so they're hanging up here. And then I look up through the hangers, and his eyeballs are staring out at me. Right? 
And all of a sudden, I hear a herd of kids, like four or five kids, run into this little room behind me looking for my son Jacob, right? And so there's a nine-year-old kid with a dress from here to here hiding in the closet. I thought it was a horrible hiding spot, but apparently... It was the best in the house because no one could find the kid, even though from belly button to floor you could see him and from neck to head you could see him because there was just a little dress like this, right? No one could find the kid. But he's standing right there as I'm getting clothes out of the, out of the dresser. He was hidden, but he was not absent. No one could find him. Hidden does not mean absent. Hidden does not mean absent. Joseph stands with integrity when Potiphar's wife tries to manipulate him. And he still goes to prison for a crime he didn't commit, for an affair he didn't have. People do the right thing all the time, and they lose their jobs. They lose their spouses. They're disowned by their families, their friends. Their relationships crumble. Bad things happen to good people. Where is God hiding? Are you looking? In Matthew, Jesus said this, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And I wonder, do you believe God is hiding in all of it? Or... Just stay with me. Or, have you stopped looking? I give up. Come out. I was here the whole time, right behind the dresses. Only this much was covered. Sometimes things spiral out of control. They did for Joseph. Brothers threw him in a pit, sold as a slave. Potiphar's house, things looked like they were getting better. Then the wife thing happened. Now he's in prison. Things started to look like they're getting better again. Who knows if they'll stay that way. Same thing happens for you and the same thing happens for me, though. Things just spiral out of control sometimes. But the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And this explains everything in the text. This explains everything, which is why they don't go into it anymore. For the people who this was written for in the time that it was written, that's all they needed to say. When they said that the Lord was with Joseph, everyone knew what that meant. We don't know what that means anymore. 
Because we forget what that means. Because if we don't see it, if we don't recognize it, we stop believing. We stop putting our faith in it. We give up. I searched for five minutes. I'm done. I prayed two prayers, fasted from one meal, and I ate a candy bar instead, and I didn't get healed of my high blood pressure, so God, you must not exist anymore. I give up. But for those who heard this passage in context, when it says that the Lord was with Joseph, that explained everything. Because they understood as we do today, everything doesn't ever work out all right, does it? Does everything work out perfect? No. Has it ever worked out perfect? No. It never does. But the Lord was with Joseph. And that reality frames everything. It does for Joseph, and it does for us as well. Because here's the deal. The word, the Lord, that we read in English, in Hebrew is Yahweh. Yahweh was with Joseph. And Yahweh is the personal form of God. If you're a reader of the King James, back in the these and thous, personal God, reference God, Yahweh is the personal relationship God, the God that is personally with you. When Joseph was a slave, Yahweh was personally with him, one-on-one. When Joseph was leading Potiphar's house, Yahweh was personally with him, one-on-one. When Joseph was a prisoner, Yahweh was one-on-one, personally with him. And when Joseph was running the prison, Yahweh was personally with him. We thrive where we are today. We can thrive where we are, and we thrive because God is close beside. We thrive because God is close beside, because like, no matter what happens in our life, no matter what tragedy we face, no matter what situation we live in, no matter what happens to us, whether we are on a mountaintop or we're in the deepest valley, whether our family has thrown us into a pit like Joseph, or we're living in any situation, we thrive because God is close beside, because that same God, Yahweh, the personal God Father, Father God, is with us. The saving God, Jesus Christ, our Savior, personally came to this earth and died for us. Personally did that for us and is with us. And the sustaining presence of the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, the living experience of God that came at Pentecost is with us too. Trifold, three experiences, two more than Joseph, maybe one depending on your theology, that we have. And that means new life. Gives us the opportunity to thrive because we can thrive because God is close beside so when I read things like Psalm 23, which is my, one of my favorite psalms of all time, it's not a funeral psalm for me. It's a new life psalm. It's all about living, all about life. Because when I read words like, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. This psalm doesn't paint a picture of the end of God's story in my life. 
paints a picture of the beginning of what God's doing now and where we're going together. That Yahweh, the personal God, is going forward with me, going forward with us, with each of us in our lives. Because we can thrive where we are. Because God is with us, right beside us, in every step of the way. Let's pray together. Lord, we have no need to fear. No reason to be afraid. Because you are close beside us. In every situation, in every high and in every low, you are there with us. Help us to receive your blessings in life with a humble heart, Lord, and to use them to bless others as you intend. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, our Savior.